This evening, we continue our look at the fruit of the Spirit. So if you would, take a Bible in hand, and we'll begin in the book of Galatians, and then here in the beginning, we'll look at Titus. Just a moment. So please turn to Galatians chapter 5. Look at verses 22 and 23 again before turning to Titus chapter 3. If you're using one of the Bibles from the Purack, you can find Galatians 5 on page 975. Tonight we're going to look at two fruit of the Spirit, kindness and goodness. Kindness and goodness. It is important to see what God's Word says about both of these things. I don't have to really make a strong case or give you many examples, but I think everyone can recognize that kindness is something that both the believing and the unbelieving world values and finds important. In fact, uh, it would be among unbelievers that they would claim kindness to be a supreme virtue. And we believe the same, um, but we believe kindness rooted in the truth of God's Word. Goodness is something very important to consider. Everybody has this sense of wanting to be good, but we cannot know what true goodness is apart from what God has revealed in His Word. So kindness and goodness are things that for the believer, the Holy Spirit is working in us, producing kindness and goodness in us. And that's what we will consider this evening. Uh, Before we read God's Word, let's ask for His help in prayer. Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to You. We come to continue this day of rest and gladness to continue in worship. We ask that you would be exalted in the reading and proclamation of your word and that you would feed our souls. Or would you give us the nutrition, the spiritual help that we need in order that our lives may bear the fruit of the Spirit. So be at work among us. We invite your Holy Spirit to work through your word, Heavenly Father, producing Christ-likeness in each of our hearts and lives. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Begin in Galatians chapter 5, just verses 22 and 23 this evening. Here, the word of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things. There is no law. Now let's turn to Titus chapter 3. If you're using a Bible from the Purack, it's on page 998. Titus. Chapter 3, let's begin in verse 3 through verse 8. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, 
passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. Amen. That ends this reading of God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. May he write its eternal truth on all our hearts. We begin with kindness tonight, and at some point, hopefully, I will be able to connect kindness and goodness. They, they are concepts throughout the scripture that both semantically and also conceptually, there's a lot of overlap between the two, and so it's not hard to, to make the connection, and it's you can overdo it by looking at the order of the fruit of the Spirit, but it would seem that there is maybe some intentionality of the groupings and kindness and goodness right next to each other work well. Um, remember that in Galatians, prior to verse 22, Paul lists off the works of the flesh. So it's always helpful to, if we're going to determine what is Kindness, what would be its corresponding work of the flesh? One of the works of the flesh is fits of anger. Fits of anger. So I would say that Paul intentionally says, those who live according to the flesh and whom the Spirit of God is not working, they are giving over and they produce with their life fits of anger. But those who belong to Christ and who are not walking by the flesh but who are walking in the Spirit Instead of producing works of anger, fits of anger, the Spirit is producing kindness in them. Now, to be clear, kindness is not mere politeness. Now, oftentimes, kindness expresses itself in politeness. Holding the door for someone is, can be an act of kindness, or it could just be decent manners. But someone could be taught good manners and really be an angry, hateful person. They just know how to say, yes ma'am and no ma'am, and how to politely not chew with a mouthful of food. But politeness is not equal to kindness, someone can be downright cruel and give the appearance of well manners and politeness. And though some seem to be inclined by personality to kindness, it is not a personality trait that Paul is speaking of here in Galatians chapter 5. Which, for some of us, that should be a relief. That should be good news. Because maybe by personality, you do not feel inclined 
the kindness. No, it is not a, a, an introverted or an extroverted personality. Um, it's not just a way of saying, well, this person is more likely to be caring. No, this is something that for all of us is good news. God is producing in you by the power of the Holy Spirit if you belong to Christ. The Holy Spirit is producing in you kindness. Kindness, um, it's your attitude towards others. It's a way of treating and relating to others. Jonathan Landry Cruz gives a pretty good definition of kindness, and so I'll use it this evening. Kindness is a disposition of the heart that seeks the welfare of others. It's good. A disposition of the heart that seeks the welfare of others. But he goes on to elaborate, independent of whether they deserve it or not. So, a heart that seeks the welfare of others, independent whether they are worthy recipients of that welfare. And also, independent of any services in return. Not expecting anything in return for the kindness that is showed. He ends his definition, doing good to others for the sake of doing good to others. That's what kindness is. And now we already see a connection between goodness and kindness. Doing good to others for the sake of doing good to others. Kindness is an expression of a loving heart. It's a loving heart then in action. It resembles the heart of God. This is what Scripture reveals to us, that the God who made all things, who is holy and righteous, is kind. He always has been and always will be kind. And the kindness fills the heart of God. In Luke's recounting of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he puts it this way in Luke chapter 6, verse 35. Jesus says, but love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. God, your Father, dear Christian, is kind those who don't deserve it, you and I, he's also kind to the ungrateful and even to those who are evil. That he does not give anyone immediately what their sins deserve. And that even the reprobate, that will be separated him from all eternity in this life, experiences God's kindness just by the gift of of the next breath, shelter, food, intelligence, and we could go on and on. God is kind. And I chose Titus chapter 3 this evening to marry together with our passage because it is a passage where it speaks of doing good works. It is a passage there in verse 3 where you see the contrast between who you once were, similar to in Galatians 5, where the works of the flesh, and now we see the work of God 
by the Holy Spirit renewing and regenerating and sanctifying the believer. But did you notice there in Titus chapter 3, verse 4, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. Here the Apostle Paul is reminding us of when kindness in its fullness walked this very earth, appeared. It's, it's language of incarnation. It's language of, of Christ coming. There was a, a time in history in which the God whose heart is filled with kindness then in the person of His Son took on flesh and kindness was embodied and lived and walked. God is kind. And before the coming of Christ, His kindness was expressed through creation and providence to the elect and to the reprobate. And in the person of the Son, now kindness came and dwelt among us. Jesus never acted selfishly, always seeking the good of others. There's a great example of this. There's several examples of it. You just go through, and if you read the Gospels, notice the kindness of the Lord. His treatment of outcasts, his treatment of those who no one else wanted to associate with. His treatment of humble sinners, humiliated and shamed by their sin, welcoming them in, showing them the kind heart of God, redeeming, saving them. There's one example I think that does stand out. There's you know, one miracle that shows up in every gospel, not just the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but also Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and that is the multiplying of bread and food for a hungry crowd. So you remember the occasion. I'll reference Mark chapter 6 this evening for it. Jesus sees a great crowd, and they are chasing him and his disciples down. So what does Jesus do? He stops. He begins to teach. Now, it wasn't on his agenda. They were trying to do something else. Jesus stops and teaches the crowd. And he does so for so long that people begin to grow hungry. And so he multiplies whatever little food they have there and they feed the multitudes of people. It's a great example of the Lord's kindness because oftentimes we just think about this is a, a, a miracle, it's a sign that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. It is, and it's also revealing what type of Messiah he is. Seeing the crowds, he has compassion on them, and he teaches. He cares for them spiritually. His kindness is expressed in teaching them about the kingdom of God. But it's not limited to that. It's not merely a, a concern for their spiritual welfare. He cares about their tummies. He wants to put food in it. He wants to nourish their hearts and their physical bodies. 
the Savior expressing both care and kindness for their spiritual need and their physical need. And here's the thing about this story. Jesus himself incarnated kindness was exhausted. He was tired. His disciples are tired. They've been on a whirlwind of ministry. And they are trying to get away from the crowds. They are fleeing the crowds. And the crowds find him. They see him in a boat. And they meet him on the shore in a destitute place where there's, there's no nearby 7-Eleven or McDonald's drive through There's nothing for them nearby. But they come out to him. Jesus, worn out according to his humanity, is not bitter, not angry. He's not saying, would you please go away? But he extends this wonderful kindness to him. There in verse 31, Jesus told his disciples, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. Him and his disciples needed rest. Because it says, for many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. This was the, the, the ministry that was taking place before this miracle. So busy, they didn't have time for themselves to eat. I don't know about you, but when I'm hungry, I can get hangry. Right? I don't know about you, but there are times where my, my children were younger and sleep was scarce and it was hard just to be kind. Jesus never once was unkind. Even when he himself physically exhausted he needs rest in his body, but his heart overflows with kindness. Good picture. Before we think about kindness towards others, dear Christian, you can never exhaust Jesus' kindness towards you. Never. Never. We talk about getting on someone's last nerve he doesn't have a last nerve to get on. No. Oftentimes we feel reluctant that we would come to him again with our need, whether spiritual or physical. But be assured, you can never, ever exhaust his kindness to you. Even in a more desperate situation, having been beaten, having been stripped, having been flogged, having been nailed to a cross, his heart overflows in kindness. And in Luke 23, 34, Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Seeking the good of others at all times. Remember, Complementary to our passage in Galatians 5 is John 15, where Jesus told his disciples that they are to bear fruit. And he tells them how, that they are to abide in him. 
They're saying you are invited to abide in the one in whom kindness overflows. And that's encouraging for me, that's encouraging for you, because when I am physically exhausted, when I'm emotionally exhausted, there is a deep reservoir of kindness within. Not of me, but because the Spirit of Christ indwells me. It's a reservoir of kindness that is deeper than the ocean, a reservoir that has no bottom, no end. And so, when it feels like we have nothing left to give, and it may be that you need to set aside time and get away and rest and recharge. I'm not encouraging you to go and hurt yourself by the pace of life and pace of service and ministry, but we know that there comes times where we feel like there is nothing left to give. And you don't have to grow bitter in service and care for those who are in your path. You can continually offer up kindness, seeking their good. Why is Jesus so kind? Because He is God, and God is kind. Why is God kind? God is kind because He is good. Jesus is kind because He is God, and God is good. Kindness is connected in the attributes of God underneath as an expression of God's goodness. God is good in His essence. And so when His Spirit is dwelling in us, it doesn't just make us kind, it makes us good. Those who delight in the good, those who love the good, those who practice what is good. Let me remind you that God is the standard of what is good. So if you begin with God's goodness as His chief attribute, and that is what defines good for us, then it helps us then discern what is kindness towards others and what does it mean to do good. Now, in the works of the flesh there in Galatians chapter 5, one of the works of the flesh is impurity. And it would be goodness, which would be the opposite of impurity. Psalm 119.68 says, You are good and you do good. David says that of the Lord. A good and helpful definition of God's goodness is from Terry Johnson. It says, It is that which sets him apart from malice, cruelty, and harshness and characterizes him as kind, generous, trustworthy, and gracious. It is his moral purity that then is expressed in grace. So his goodness stands above all things. His mercy is God's goodness shown to those in misery, Herman Bavink says. Herman Bavink goes on to say, goodness of God is expressed in grace, not giving what we deserve. God's goodness is expressed in patience. It is the goodness of God which spares those deserving punishment and that He patiently waits 
for those who have sinned and invites them to repent. God's love is God's goodness, not just conveying benefits, but offering himself to sinners. And if we could say that Jesus is kindness incarnate, we certainly can say he is goodness incarnate. In Luke chapter 18, there's the rich ruler who comes to Jesus and he makes a statement that Jesus doesn't allow him just to say uh, without thinking about the depths of what he has said. Luke 18, verse 18 says, And the ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. He goes on to then engage with this young ruler, this rich young ruler. But Jesus points out, what you've said, you can only truly say of God. And Jesus does not deny that he is God and accepts this description of himself as being a good teacher. So then what does goodness incarnate look like? Well, it is the total moral purity and then all the, that comes from it. So, as Jesus is engaging with this young ruler, he begins to go through the commands. And then Jesus lists a, a series of commands from the second table of the Decalogue. And the rich young ruler says, yeah, I haven't murdered anyone. Yeah, I, I haven't committed adultery. And then Jesus then presses him and says, okay, well then sell all that you have and go give it to others. And Jesus here is saying, look, goodness is moral purity then expressed in grace and kindness to others. So Jesus, as goodness incarnate, he demonstrates perfect obedience to what God demands. We see goodness in his active obedience. Jesus, Psalm uh, 119, verse 39 says, For your rules are good. In Romans chapter 7, verse 12, the Apostle Paul references the goodness of God's commands. God's laws, his commands, are an expression of his goodness, and Jesus walks in perfect obedience. Acts 10, verse 38 says, he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Jesus illustrated and demonstrated the goodness of God and his obedience to God's holy law. And he did so showing love and care for others in doing it. But also the Bible points to the goodness of the Savior in his passive obedience. Not just keeping the law on behalf of his people where we have failed to obey, but he also in his sacrificing of himself demonstrates the goodness of God. John 
10, verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The goodness of the shepherd is revealed in his giving his life for the sheep. And we, as his people, are the beneficiaries of this goodness. And his spirit is cultivating this goodness in us. So in our passage in Titus 3, verse 8, the saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. They are excellent and profitable for people. Just as Jesus went around doing good for others, obeying God's law for the benefit of others, then his people follow in his imitation. But the encouragement is that as we follow, the power to do so comes from the Spirit of Christ working in us. It is not a matter of saying that, okay, God has forgiven our sins. We're justified. There's nothing that we need to, to do that could merit or earn our salvation. And so, in gratitude, we seek to live in obedience, producing good works. The emphasis being on our gratitude producing good works. It is an expression of our gratitude, but it's gratitude that is fueled and empowered by the Spirit of God working in us. And so everyone who's been converted, everyone who has been born again, everyone who has been, as we heard this morning, called, beloved, and kept, God has done good for you, to you, and is producing good from you. Third John, verse 11 says, Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Now as we're coming towards the, the last couple uh, character traits listed in the fruit of the Spirit, I want to remind us of the context of the book of Galatians. And you can do this in working out all the fruit of the Spirit of, of love, joy, and peace, and patience, and kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. All of these in the context of a church that has gone through some really difficult and hard things. Remember how the letter to the Galatians begins. It's a brief greeting, and then Paul goes straight to the point and says, there are some among you who, by what they have embraced, are denying the gospel. And if anyone preaches to you a gospel different than the one that you've heard from me, then they are to be damned. They are to be cursed. They are to be, even if it's an angel of God, they are to be cursed. Think about the controversy that was taking place that Paul is addressing in this very letter. And so he wants to make the point that, okay, you don't remain in and remain justified by re resorting to works of the law. 
That it is the Spirit then that produces godliness and holiness and good works in you. We walk and live by the Spirit. But it's also a matter of, okay, as a church that's been through a lot, there's probably some people still in the pew who were telling others, you can't be a true Christian unless you get circumcised like Jews. They were putting this, this ungodly, gospel-denying burden on their neighbors, their fellow church members. Think about the pain and the harm that could be done. It's one thing to be ridiculed or persecuted by the unbelieving world, but then when someone else within the church starts telling you, you're wrong, you're really not right with God, those words carry such a sting and such pain and such hurt. And so Paul says, for this church has been through so much, kindness and goodness, kindness seeking the good of others. In another place, kindness is tied to forgiveness. Ephesians 4, 32. Be kind to wonder one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. How does a congregation that has been torn up by this theological controversy recover? How do they go forward together? Kindness that is ready to forgive, wanting what's best. Not marking out and putting a, a scarlet letter on those who are among the Judaizers, but moving past that, seeking their welfare, their good, pardoning them as they have been forgiven, pardoned by God. Galatians 6.10, it says, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. Let us do good to everyone. Goodness as it is revealed by God's commands, let us do good to everyone. And then what does Paul say? Especially to those who are of the household of faith. He's telling the Galatian church, everything you need for healing, for restoration of community and fellowship, the Spirit is doing that work in you. Would you let the Spirit do that work in you? Would you let the Spirit do that work among relationships, within the household of faith, seeking opportunities to be good and to do good? Now, it's clear, this is the Ephesians 4.32 and the Galatians 6.10, they, they are in, in the imperative mode there, telling us to be kind to one another and to do good to one another. But don't put the imperative in part of in front of the Savior. Abide in Him. And the kindness and the goodness that overflows from His heart let it fill and overflow your heart. Let it be a ministry and a blessing 
to those sitting next to you right now. And let it be a ministry and a witness to a world that is desperately longing for kindness and goodness. In a moment here, we're going to close with uh, the sands of time are sinking is our hymn. And it's based on letters from Samuel Rutherford. And it's it's very moving phrases and stanzas. And a summary of the hymn is basically you've tasted that God and Jesus is kind and good to you. Just think of what heaven would be like. There's a wonderful line, not even the whole line, it just says, O Christ, He is the fountain. Dear friends, if you're weary in doing good and you feel too tired to be kind, go to Christ the fountain. Let His abundance Produce in you kindness and goodness for those whom you love, those who need the Savior. Let us pray. Our Lord and our God, we thank you that you meet the needs of our hearts. You do so perfectly and righteously. We thank you that you care about us wholly and completely and totally, every part of our being. You're seeking our good and our welfare. And Lord, we need it. And then we want to be vessels of that kindness and goodness to our fellow believers, to the watching world. By your grace and by the power of your spirit, may we be so and do so. Help us to abide in Christ, to walk in the Spirit, to commune with Him and to receive from Him all of His kindness and goodness. In Jesus' name, amen.